0: We just said, hey, let's, let's try to do this on our own. We don't know anything about making, you know, designing or making shirts. Um, we're really good at selling shirts. We know how to market that side of things, but we, we don't know anything, but we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our customers to try to do this because um, there's no way that we were gonna go any longer having to make excuses.
1: Welcome to the Carnage Podcast, where we interview some of today's most savvy marketers, creatives, and founders. I'm your host, Adam Kuhns, and today's guest is Michelle Sharp. Michelle is the marketing director at Cotton Bureau. Cotton Bureau is a curated t-shirt marketplace for designers, communities, and causes. You supply the design and promotion. They do all the hard stuff. Selling, printing, shipping, and customer service. It's completely free, by the way. Cotton Bureau recently launched a sister brand called Blank. Blank's a new line of size inclusive, premium t shirts made in the USA for women and men. Their successful Kickstarter campaign raised over $100,000. Michelle and I dive into her roundabout path to digital marketing, how she's seen the landscape change, and what she's doing to stay ahead of the curve. Enjoy my conversation with Michelle.
0: Cotton Bureau, um, we're a company that's been around for a little bit over five years now. We started as a a side project of a side project for um, a brand that was working mostly with people on the web. Um, So what Cotton Bureau is, it's, it's sort of a curated platform for communities, so creative people of all different kinds, submit designs to us. We reject probably about 90% of what is submitted to us. Uh, You know, there's a lot of t-shirt brands out there that We'll put anything on a T-shirt. We're not really trying to be that. So, um, people submit the designs to us. We evaluate them. We decide: do we like them? Are they cool? Are they, you know, definitely a design that's not stolen artwork or something <laughs> like that? You know, that's something that we really care about from a design perspective. And then those designs get put on our website for two-week pre-order campaigns. So that's always been the beauty of Cotton Bureau was that we would be able to put up these pre-order campaigns designers would spend those two weeks trying to promote the heck out of their design to get at least 12 people to buy the shirt. At the end of that two-week campaign, if at least 12 people buy the shirt, that means Cotton Bureau does all that dirty work that no one wants to do. So we print the shirt, we ship the shirt, we do all the customer service. If somebody makes 25 or more sales, then we start giving them a cut of the profit.
1: And your title here is the Director of Marketing.
0: Um right. yes and I head up all of the efforts with blank.
1: Okay. So yep. if we got into your background, where did you how did you get into into the marketing side of things? Oh wow. I have to go way where back. I'm really way...
0: old, Adam. So we got to go way, like way way back. Just turned 40 in August, but <laughs> we don't have to talk about that. Um so I started off I I didn't go to school for anything related to marketing. I was like a pre-med major. Oh, wow, okay. I had like a minor in biology and a minor in business. And right out of school, I moved to New York City and I worked for um, publicists okay. uh, just huge conglomerate agency that owns a ton of agencies. Um, and within that, I worked for a PR agency called Manning, Selvage and Lee, and we did PR for pharmaceutical companies. And so, you know, that was a super high stress, job it took a lot of my time you know it was very unforgiving in terms of you know having a having a life and you're living in New York City and you're getting paid like shit um and you're just working to death um but more importantly my problem with being in PR which you know nothing against everybody in PR but I really think it is an important um you know part of the marketing mix is that I couldn't see quantitative results okay That was my real problem with it. So I started to do a little research on my own. Like, what else is out there? You know, this is, oh my gosh, 2003, 2004. And that's when online marketing started to become a thing. You know, Google had launched AdWords. um, Yahoo was around, et cetera. So I started to think to myself, well, what can I do that would be a little bit more fulfilling for me, you know, working for a huge pharmaceutical company that could throw millions and millions or billions of dollars at a problem um, and get good press as a result. Like that's not the greatest feeling, (laughs) (laughs) I guess. Um, So I wanted something, you know, like I said, a little bit more fulfilling and I I saw that there was a company here, an agency here in Pittsburgh. Um, My brother and my sister-in-law lived here and I had a friend who worked there and she said, Hey, you know, I know you're looking for something different. We are part of this agency and we do digital marketing. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm starting to get into that, you know? <laughs> um, so I came out here and interviewed and two weeks later I started okay. as like just an account manager for a search marketing agency. Okay. So that was doing mostly SEO and paid
1: search. Okay, so for and what clients. year was that? That was 2004. 2004, okay.
0: So at the beginning of 2004, I left my job working at the PR agency in New York on 52nd and Broadway. One week later, I officially started at the agency that was here and walked about a mile, not even a mile, like less than a mile, To a search engine strategies conference that was on 6th Avenue, really honestly, like not that far from my old office on 52nd and Broadway. And I, you know, dropped off my roommate who also worked with me and said, all right, I'm going to my my new job, first week on my new job at this conference. Then I moved to Pittsburgh a couple weeks later. Okay,
1: gotcha. Um,
0: So that was 2004. I was an account manager working with clients really that ran the gamut in okay. terms of industries. So um, one of my biggest clients was EDMC. They own all the art institutes sure, all yeah. over the world um, or all over the country. Um, uh, discover credit cards, um, Bass Pro Shops, you know, really from education, um, CPG, finance, okay. uh, retail, luxury brands, sure. worked on... on all of those accounts and
1: you know got a So were they coming to you saying hey we know digital marketing is, is up and coming tell us what we need to do?
0: Yeah, I mean, that was really what it was all about. It was, so so sure, we were managing their SEO and we were managing their paid search, but then social media started coming along as well. And, you know, we were the ones that they would come to essentially as consultants to tell them, what can we do to make our website better? And what can we do to make our website, you know, find, you know, show up on the search results higher? You know, that's obviously SEO. Um, And then on the paid search side of things, that's when things were really still working. Sure. You could buy ads on Google Uh, and on Yahoo for really cheap, your, yeah. your CPCs were amazing, right. you get a really great ROI. Um, and it worked. Um, and I did that for years and years and did that um, at ModCloth as well. And that was super successful. Um, and then the landscape sort of started to change, you know, Facebook came out with advertising, you know, there was the whole idea of social media and was that owned by PR or was that owned by marketing you know who who gets control over that and you know what is really the purpose of it really trying to convince brands early on that that was probably one of the best ways that you could actually reach and right. engage with your customers um, so getting people on board to do that
1: um, So how are you so learning important. along the way I mean you went from pharmaceutical yeah PR yep to Talking to clients about SEO and, <laughs> and digital marketing. I mean, yeah. were you were you teaching yourself? I mean, did you take exactly. a class? Like, what? How did you get into that?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the. The running theme, if you're somebody in digital marketing, is that you have to be willing to teach yourself and to stay up with all the trends and to do things by trial and error, um, everything. So you also have to have clients. If you're lucky enough to be at an agency, I think especially early on, you have to have clients who are willing to let you test things. So you know, as things were coming out, you know, some of us tried to be on the forefront of that or even be thought leaders who would speak about that or write about it, um, and. On top of that, we just had to have clients who were willing to let us try some of that. So that was cool. And then, you know, I did that for years and was able to take that to, you know, the company side of things being at Modcloth. And then actually before I joined Cotton Bureau officially, I was at a very large German manufacturing company. For I saw that on your years. LinkedIn. Draeger? Drager. Drager. Exactly. Yeah, you got it. I mean that's that's pretty good pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, that sort of same concept of Educating people and convincing them to, you know, let you try out certain things in the space, you know, was easier to do early on. I think people were looking for a lot of ways as they were seeing digital marketing become, you know, a bigger and bigger piece of the the marketing mix pie, so to speak. Gotcha. They were looking for thought leaders. They were looking for advice. Um, And we just kind of became this very small group of people who were just, just super eager to find out everything that we could about anything that was happening. If there was a change with the Google algorithm, we were, you know, some of the first people to look into it and try to figure out, well, what happened? Well, what can we all do? What can we tell our clients to do? Um, you know, to, to change their sites or, you know, keep on top of it. And um, were you enjoying,
1: were you enjoying that? It was great. Yeah. yeah liked I,
0: it. I I really loved it. I mean, it was, it was a way for us to help all of those clients, but it was also, something that I saw is, like, clearly this is the future. I mean, it's 2004 at that point. You know, I think we kind of all knew. Mm -hmm. um, But you'd be surprised. Right. Um, You know, people who were really hanging on to, well, you know, what about these other traditional forms of advertising and marketing? And it's like, yeah, you know, that, that might be something that you consider. But the numbers, the percentage dedicated to those were dropping year over year over year. So, you know, for me back then, again, I'm so old. But for me, it was... Come on. It was... It was the only thing that made sense. When I thought about everything else that I could be doing, sales or um, real estate, I'm super into real estate too. I thought, okay, well, this seems to have a lot more
1: longevity to it. Sure. Um, So you're at Drager. You were there for seven years. I was
0: there for about six years.
1: Six years. Yeah. Okay. And then how did you land on Cotton Bureau?
0: Well, I mean... My husband owns the company. Oh, so that's the easy way oh. to say it. <laughs> no. um, so yeah, so I mean, in, in my time, um, both at ModCloth and then at Draker, which was a really great company, um, being on the sort of manufacturing side of things and being B2B is a lot harder than B2C. Um, I will say that. So, you know, getting everybody up to speed there was was a challenge that, that I love doing. Um, but it was also something that I was worried would set me back in terms of the you know new technologies and the the measures that you know people were doing in 2016 2015 that um, were happening at some bigger better companies that I wasn't keeping up keeping up with okay. basically okay okay um, so that company was uh, relocating its Pittsburgh office to Houston okay and I said I'd maybe not want to consider that <laughs> moving to Houston. To Houston. Yeah. Um, so, so I decided, okay, well, I have to, I have to think to myself, do I want to stick that out and try to work remotely? And I had a team of people who were already remote, so that, that could have worked, but ultimately, um, the opportunity at Cotton Bureau was just too good. I couldn't pass it up. So, you know, it's really great to be able to work with my husband, but also they finally were at a point where they could afford to hire me. So that's really awesome. really where it came from. Um, no, but really what it was at the end of the day was that we wanted to embark on blank and there really honestly wasn't anyone else who could do that. And just with my marketing background and being really into and interested in fashion, um, I decided to do it.
1: So how much pre-planning went into the launch of Cotton Bureau? I know you, you guys had a base of designers that you worked with, so that was in place already, which is right. great. But... How did you go from, okay, cottonbureau.com is live. Now we got to get people to use this platform.
0: <laughs> that was, um, you know, as as Jay said to you before, I mean, that was a lot of, like, tapping into the designers that they they had done the hard work to network with. Um, and it was really putting putting a call out to them. Um, there's the added added benefit that Nate and Jay are really good at writing. And so there were blog posts in the early days just talking about, you know, why they wanted to start cotton bureau and you know what they were hoping to accomplish with it in terms of the community for designers okay and you know that i think went a long way i think that designers really got behind it because of that um and it was really you know an honest way of letting people know hey we have this platform now we would love to work with you please you know call me um And other than that, you know, it was social media. You know, we started an email list very early on. I think everybody knows at this point you have to. Right. Even in the days of, you know, all of the the, the best possible advertising or influencer marketing or, you know, brand ambassadors, things that you can be doing, that's great. Um, Everything on social media as well, but email marketing, you know, still, still, uh. Wins by a country mile in some places. Gotcha. um, And that's what they did here. Okay.
1: So you guys are selling t-shirts on Cotton Bureau and you run into an issue with sizing. Yep. So what do you do do about that issue with sizing? Yeah, I
0: mean, pretty much from the start, it was, we're a new brand putting these really awesome designs on quality t-shirts and we started with... I think they started with American Apparel in the very beginning. Um, And I think we all know, you know, there's a certain aesthetic with American Apparel. It's a very slim fit um, shirt. It's really great, um, but it had its limitations. So uh, they did a little test to switch to a new brand, um, and that was next level. And so that happened, I think, that because the audience of Cotton Bureau had come from the design and tech world and was United Pixel Workers before that and Full Stop before that, it was predominantly male. And so the offerings for men for t-shirts were not that bad. You know, There weren't as many problems. And so when Cotton Bureau launched and we started doing designs with all kinds of people and really selling to literally anyone now instead of just people in the web world with United Pixel Workers, we knew that we had a problem. And whether it was gonna be addressed by us or by a much larger brand um, out there was yet to be determined, but we tried. So switching from American Apparel to Next Level, I think, helped us for a little while, sure. um, but we were still getting lots of emails. I mean, dozens of emails every week from women saying you know, I really love that design or, you know, even, you know, mom saying that I want to buy my son's design. You know, why does your, your women's shirt, it's, it's, it's a junior fit. You know, what does that mean? First of all. Um, and that it only went up to a two X and that two X being more like a women's medium or large was, um, was honestly kind of embarrassing. You know, it was embarrassing for us to put out these amazing designs and say, say they're on a really premium quality shirt, um, which we did did like the shirts, um, but oh sorry, you know, there's a p- percentage of the population and I'm included in that who actually can't buy the shirt. I mean our office is is fifty percent on Monday, will be more than fifty percent women. Okay. Um, Cotton Bureau, the the ten of us. And none of us wore the women's shirts. Oh wow. Whew. None of us. Okay. We always wore men's. You know, I wear a men's large and, you know, people back in the in the office in the warehouse they would only wear men's shirts because women's weren't fitting. So we just decided, you know, we have to try to do something about it. You know, whether it was looking towards yet another brand um, that was out there that was doing something that was size inclusive and made in the U.S. or whether we started ourselves, um, it was a a serious consideration. We looked around and and no one, none of the big brands were doing it. Um, We thought, surely that can't be... case right like surely somebody's tried to tackle this problem and if they did it was um a women's fit it would be a curvy fit but it would be available in like 10 different shades of pink (laughs) where the men's fits were in these awesome colors you know just you know right we we all want the same colors right just because (laughs) we're women doesn't mean we want just a pink or a purple shirt um so we had some issues from from that standpoint too just trying to see what was out there we tried Almost everything. Okay. I mean, we we tested a lot of a lot of different brands. We talked with um, some of them about private label as well, but there's some limitations that you you have with that. So we just said, hey, let's let's try to do this on our own. We don't know anything about making, you know, designing or making shirts. Um, we're really good at selling shirts we know how to market that side of things, but we we don't know anything, but we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our customers to try to do this because um, there's no way that we were going to go any longer having to make excuses for sure. a product that at the end of the day is ours. Yeah.
1: So. So how long did that process take from the first iteration of the design to you holding it in your hands?
0: Yeah. Wow. Not as long as I would think. I mean, just, you know, my limited experience um, maybe gave me the wrong impression. But um, so I joined officially in August 2016 and I immediately hit the ground running and I started talking to other brands. So brands that we've always been fans of, you know, that were like accessible. You know, I wasn't reaching out to like the Gap and asking like, hey, how do you guys make Um, (laughs) T-shirts? But you know brands that sort of were friends of ours and that we've respected and admired um and who've been doing it for a bit of time so we reached out to them i probably had dozens of conversations like two three dozens of conversations just to say hey you know this is something that we're going to try to do. Do you have any advice for me? Do you have, do you have any contacts at any <laughs> factories? Um, really hearing like the pros and cons from everybody of like why you should be doing it in the U S versus outside of the U S um, really sort of taking that into consideration and then narrowing that down to us deciding we definitely want to make these shirts in the U S you want to contribute to our economy in a way that we saw was going away. Um, And we thought, you know, we we can do that. We can contribute to that. You know, how hard can it be? Sure. Well, I mean, it's really hard. (laughs) It's really hard. Um, And then I found, after narrowing it down, saying we want to do it in the U.S., um, I reached out to, again, a couple of dozen different factories and um, fabric mills. And, you know, that was another important thing for us, too, is that we knew that you can make a shirt. Right. In the U.S. and say that it's made in the U.S. But we actually also make our fabric in the okay, U.S. as great. well. So it's knit in okay. downtown L.A. And then um, our cut and sew factory goes and picks it up. They're, okay. they're actually partners. Um, and they take it over to the cut okay. and sew factory, which is in Gardena, California. Um, I'm actually going there in a couple of weeks to check in on them. And um, started doing samples. Okay. So samples to the the sort of final sample was from August until about December. Okay. Is when I started doing the research to had the first sample in my okay. hand. So, not too bad. Okay. Um and then and then it got fun. Then it got weird. <laughs> <laughs> um because we wanted to, you know, we knew that we weren't totally confident about what we were doing because, uh, you know, again, I'm in marketing and we sell t-shirts and we run this like really cool website, but we don't know how to make stuff. So I, I had 350 samples made. Okay. And I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. And it was a great way to market it as well. Right. So we had put out our, our sort of launch blog post saying, this is what we're going to do. We, we hope you guys get behind us. Um, we're excited about this. Here's how it's going to go. Um, and then we followed up and said that, okay, we have our first sample. We, want to get these in your hands you the customers so a lot of the customers who over the years had been complaining and everything I reached out to them oh, individually nice. over email and I said hey we're doing this thing <laughs> please sign up so I want to send 350 samples to women and men across the country okay. in all of the sizes so from extra small to 5x because we offer nine sizes okay. um, make these samples get them in your hands and basically give them a couple weeks to try them out and fill out this survey for me. Attach some some pictures if you want. Tell me everything, good or bad. Um, And we did that. We got, I think at least 300 responses oh, wow. from okay. those 350 samples. And, you know, we, we use that as an opportunity to send them to some of the brands that we would want to work with, some of the designers that we have worked with in the past or that we would want to work with because they're the kinds of um, brands or designers who are big enough to have their own merch later on. So we said, try it. You know, okay. just, just tell us what you think. Um, got really great feedback from everybody. It did actually lead to some tweaks. Um, and we launched the Kickstarter in August of 2017. Sure, Ran that for about a month. That was successfully funded. It was amazing.
1: How uh, much did you guys raise for the Kickstarter?
0: It was about 96000 Our okay. goal was
1: 48000 Okay, And you did not put the Kickstarter out before you had the actual samples i mean you weren't just testing exactly
0: yeah that yeah i'm, I'm glad because you i think that. a lot of
1: people would have said well that's, that's
0: what the kickstarter you know, is going to, to, to towards to, the to research fund, yeah yeah so we we wanted to let everybody know that because we also wanted to be sure that people felt confident that if they back our kickstarter that this was going to be a real thing that would happen sure. and a real thing that would happen in like a reasonable amount of time okay too. so we did all the research so if, from, from the time that I started until we started making the Kickstarter and launching the Kickstarter, it was almost exactly one year. Okay. So we did the research, we narrowed it down to, you know, a, a knitting mill and a cut and sew factory. Um, we got our patterns nailed down, we did our samples, we did the 350 samples to testing to, you know, all the customers throughout the country. We dialed it in a little bit more. In terms of the fit, we did all of our grading. You know, we started to do some preliminary outreach to people that you know we wanted to be sure were aware of of what we were doing with blank, so that they could get behind us and support us. Um, and then we launched.
1: Okay. Yeah. And what is the name of it again? Blank. 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 How did, you, how did you come? I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> now, how did you come up with the name blank? So. Um, You know, everybody
0: uses blank tees for graphic design. And we went through a number of rounds of, you know, what should we call it? And coming up with something, you know, that was representative and, you know, of Cotton Bureau and and maybe a little bit uh, too thoughtful. And we said, what are we doing? Just just call it blank. It's an SEO. Speaking of, like, my background, (laughs) it was an SEO nightmare. It's still an SEO nightmare. (laughs) It's like, how do you, you know how do you make sure you're found for blank? Mm-hmm. Well, I have news for you. You don't. <laughs> um, but we did that anyway. I mean, it just okay. made sense for us. So okay. It, you know, it's still like blank by Cotton Bureau. And I mean, it's certainly a brand that I think long-term, you know, being like a basics collection could stand on its own. Sure. Um, but, you know, we definitely utilize the audience of Cotton Bureau to so help, you, you know, move you, it
1: forward. You raised the $96,000. And then what, how long ago was that? That was a little bit over a year ago. So it
0: was in... September, middle of September 2017. Okay. That's when the Kickstarter ended. Sure.
1: Yep. So, where does blank stand today?
0: today, we, um, after that Kickstarter ended, September 15th, we started our first production run. So that was to fulfill all the Kickstarter rewards, as well as to set us up for the holidays. So you know, still not knowing, you know, how this was really going to go, we knew that well, at least to give it a good shot, and to make sure that we could offer, you know, a wide variety of colors, in the nine different sizes, men's and women's, that we needed to ramp up our inventory. So, you know, that was a pretty big order from, from the jump, and to today we are just about to receive in 2 weeks our 11th production run. Wow. So with production usually taking anywhere from like 5 to 7 weeks, we've been running at a pretty good clip and you know, we were I think at something like
1: 60,000 plus shirts oh, wow. produced so far. Okay, yep. gotcha. Do you see Blank turning into an American apparel next level type <laughs> brand? <laughs> I mean, you it's know, the goal, I mean, what, you I know, know. I... I don't know if that's the
0: goal, you know, when we when we decided to to do this and essentially become our own supplier for Cotton Bureau, I think we always knew that it could stand on its own. You know, my favorite shirts in the world are not graphic design shirts. I mean, I work at a graphic design shirt company. I shouldn't even be saying that, right? But, you know, my my favorite shirts are just blank t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, you know, there's a lot of potential you know we have to we have to do a lot to market that and to really you know differentiate blank from what cotton bureau is um because i think you know a lot of people could say well you know you're making blank because you want it to be your own supplier but the truth is we sell these shirts at retail by themselves too, unprinted. And then we've also been working with people from a wholesale perspective, which is tough to do because, you know, we're still trying to have enough inventory and enough stock on the shelves to sell them ourselves. Um, And now that we're printing designs on blank too, it's even tougher to make sure that we have, you know, the full range of colors that we offer in like all the The sizes and everything. Um, But I think it has a lot of potential to become, um, a basics brand that people can go to because they know, okay, I've worked with, you know, cotton Bureau for a really long time now and they're great. Or I've known about cotton Bureau and, you know, they're making this really great product. And Oh, by the way, it's not just for graphic design teas.
1: So if I wanted to buy a large tri-blend blank, I can go to your site right now. You can go to the site
0: right now, buy it. You have them in stock and I would get it in a few days. Yep. Yep. We actually just, um, processed our latest PO, uh, last week and I just hired, uh, an assistant to help me both on the marketing, sort of split 50-50s on the marketing and the production management side of things. So um, up until this point, I was processing each
1: PO blank myself. Okay. If we get into the marketing weeds a little bit, where are you putting most of your efforts from a digital marketing standpoint.
0: Mm -hmm. So my time now and what I would like my time to be spent more on is is outreach. So, you know, we had some decent coverage from the Kickstarter. There was a really great piece written about us in Fast Company. That was awesome. Um, There was some local stuff. But, you know, given my PR background, I'm constantly concerned about you know, really putting ourselves out there and making sure that, you know, we're getting the the kind of coverage that we can. So, you know, we just want everybody to know that this is an option for them. And so me partnering with influencers and starting a brand ambassador program and reaching out to local and national press is something that I have been turning my attention to now that we have the production side of things nailed down. Okay. It's taken a long time. Gotcha. It's taken, you know, basically, you know, since the Kickstarter, it's taken about a year for me to be able to you know, just pivot to now I'm gonna focus on outreach. Sure. Um, So that's something where we've been able to start working with uh, two influencers. Um, Like I was saying, in audiences that haven't typically been um, our demographic, Um, that includes um, the plus size uh, blogging world. So there are a lot of women that um, I've talked to and reached out to in that world who are Really excited about blank. You know, having something that's that size inclusive that goes up to five X, and that was really designed and made for a woman by a woman is really exciting for those people. And um, it's it's sometimes hard for me to even think, oh wow, why why weren't we talking to them before? Well, I understand why because we didn't offer something. And Cotton Bureau, you know, really kind of started from you know, a certain slice of, um, the tech and web world that, you know, we just weren't reaching those people. So,
1: um, and that in yeah. itself, I mean, it was a, it's a marketing play. I mean, I know right. that's not yeah. why you created blank, but at the same time when you, you're essentially disrupting right an industry that's, that's not able to provide that. Yep. I mean, that in itself is a great marketing tactic, right? Right.
0: And you get a lot of, um, you get a lot of supporters when you do something specifically for them and they, have found you either by chance or whatever, you know, and I don't, I don't want people to have to find us by chance. You know, I want to speak to, you know, I just recently went to, um, an exco expo, excuse me, called the curvy fashionista and it's a woman, Marie. She has been a plus size blogger for many, many years. And she runs this expo every year that brings in lots of brands and bloggers in the plus size world who, are able to talk about, you know, where where can we insert ourselves so that, you know, this particular thing becomes fair for us. So that is in that world, it's about apparel and making sure that, you know, brands are are doing their best to be as inclusive as possible. Sure. Um and we, you know, we, we know that we're pretty tiny, but you know, if our number one goal was to be size inclusive, I think we've accomplished that okay. so far.
1: If you were to give you know one piece of advice for someone in the digital marketing space, what would that be?
0: Hmm. I'd say keep up with as much as you can and be willing to be flexible and test anything because I think we all know just from the digital marketing world that, Things are constantly changing and you never know from day to day what is going to work because you're trying to capture the attention of people who are being targeted and who are, you know, their their interests and their attention is being spread so thin because there are A million other brands just like you vying for their attention too. So, um, you know, being willing to to really know your audience and test, you know, what can work for them is something that, you know, we've always done in digital marketing. And I think we'll have to continue to do um, so that we can find what works and, you know, really make sure that people that we want to know about our products can
1: find us. Awesome. Uh, If people want to follow you and Cotton Bureau, where can they do that?
0: Uh, Cotton Bureau is um, at Cotton Bureau on all the social medias. And that is C-O-T-T-O-N-B-U-R-E-A-U. Blank is actually separate. So that's another thing that we've been having, you know, some problems with. But blank is uh, blank by CB on Instagram and Twitter. And then I am, this is going to come as a surprise to you. I
1: am Sophia Sharp on Instagram and Twitter. (laughs) So many surprises. A lot of surprises. Well, I appreciate your time, Michelle. It was great chatting with you and uh, good luck with everything. This podcast was brought to you by Carney, the digital agency behind the Daily Carnage newsletter. If you aren't on the list, make sure you sign up at carney.co. That's C-A-R-N-E-Y dot C-O. If you're enjoying this podcast, we would greatly appreciate a review on iTunes. Thanks a lot. Till next time.